Good morning. Thank you very much, choir and orchestra. I have enjoyed being with you in worship this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to find Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 36 and some other verses in just a few moments. But let me uh, tell you, I thank you for the privilege this morning of standing in the pulpit on Easter. I've been uh, your director of missions now. I'm in my eighth year. We're working on our eighth year right now. And it's been seven years since I got to preach on Easter. That is the, the most significant, today is the most significant day in the Christian year. And I love to preach. And whenever on Easter morning when I'm sitting in the congregation where you're sitting, I'm very, very frustrated that I can't be here and preaching. And I'm glad that you've given me the opportunity uh, to do that this day. Uh, let me also thank you for your gifts to the Shelby Baptist Association. You are one of the most significant givers and supporters of the association, not only in the money that you send our way, the offering that you do on the first Sunday of the month that comes down to assist us, but you give us people to serve on committees and boards. And one of our staff members, Debbie Snyder, is also a member of this congregation. And we're thankful for the support that you give us. Um, at, at the 9 o'clock hour, I was at a church in Helena that Century Club funds, and some of you are contributors to the Century Club, we paid off their property and we had a note burning uh, that all the churches worked together to pay off and now their property, at least the land that their buildings are sitting on, is free and clear because our churches are serving Christ together. Now, we're here today to worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the theme of our message. I want to read the passage of Scripture. I want to pray together. And then we'll look at the details of this passage of Scripture. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 36. This is the key verse in the passage. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. It says, um, the apostle Peter is preaching and he says, Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for your word that it is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and bone and marrow and is the discerner of the thought and the intent of our hearts. I pray, Father, this morning that as I speak, that your Holy Spirit would be our instructor, that he would take the things that belong to Christ and he would disclose them to us. Father, we thank you that you are here in this place. We acknowledge your worthiness, your glory, your majesty, your honor. Father, I pray that you would give me unction to speak with liberty and authority as we proclaim this glorious truth that Jesus is Lord and Christ. It is in his name and for his honor that we pray. Amen. Why would we choose a Pentecost sermon on Easter? Well, the reason is this. This is the first recorded sermon after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the first publicly proclaimed message. They have been waiting for 50 days since the ascension of Christ. And they had gathered together. They were there at the temple. And the Holy Spirit fell on them. 
And those who had gathered together from all over the world, if you look earlier in the chapter, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, uh, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, um, Rome, from all over people had come to Jerusalem to celebrate. And the Holy Spirit fell upon God's people and they were speaking in other tongues. And those from all different parts of the world were hearing a message proclaimed in their native language. And people started saying, those folks are drunk. And Peter got up and began preaching. His sermon actually begins in verse 14. And he says, wait a minute. This is not drunk people out here. It's, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. He says, this is the prophecy that's been fulfilled. And he quotes to them Joel chapter 2, how young men would see visions and how young women would, uh, the sons and daughters would prophesy, young, young men shall see vision, old men dream dreams. This is the Holy Spirit who's come upon us. And then he transitions from that introduction and he begins to talk about Jesus and what has happened. And his conclusion, and I'm giving you the conclusion first this morning. We'll come back to it later. But the conclusion is what we just read, Acts 2.36. This Jesus, whom you crucified, is both Lord and Christ. There is a hymn in your hymnal. It's the 1991 Baptist hymnal. It's in the Easter section. The title of it is Christmas Has Its Cradle. The only place we've ever sung it was at a minister's conference when I was pastoring in the Birmingham Association. And when I've pastored a church and I insisted that we sing it. But the last stanza is a glorious stanza. It says this, Christmas has its cradle where the baby cried. In the Easter garden, Christ was crucified. When death's power was conquered, God's life through him poured. Christmas has its cradle, and Easter has its Lord. That is a glorious verse. Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord is the word that was used to name God the Father in the in the Septuagint, the, old, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was so popular in that day. And it references the fact of Christ's sovereignty and his divinity. And it indicates that Jesus is both God and king. That's what you re need to remember when you hear Jesus is Lord. He's God and he's king. But it says also, verse 36, that he is Christ. That's his messianic identity. He is the anointed one. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one that was prophesied in Isaiah who would be the rescuer and redeemer of God's people. Not only is he our God and king, but he is our rescue and rescuer and our redeemer. We need to remember that. What are the grounds of that? Why would Peter assert that on the day of Pentecost? Well, we begin looking there at verse 22. And we see that the first ground of this conclusion that Peter's given us is that Jesus has been attested by God's performance. Look at verse 22. Men of Israel, Peter says, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourself know. This audience that Peter was preaching to, many were from out of town who had come in. But there were many who were present there in the nation who had been hearing him, who had been hearing Jesus and seeing Jesus. Perhaps many of these people were the ones who were standing there on Palm Sunday saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and were praising Christ then. And they had been witnesses to the miracles and the wonders and signs that Jesus has done. Peter says, men of Israel, and he's talking to everyone, men and women, boys and girls, and he says, listen to these words. You need to understand this about Jesus. God has given testimony to who he is by the miracles that he has done. What are the, some, of things, some of the things that he did? I'm so excited I'm getting faster and getting my tongue tangled. I need to calm down. Okay. Here's some of the things that he did. He cast out devils that people were possessed with. He cleansed lepers. He restored sight to the blind. He caused deaf people to hear. He made dumb people to speak. He made lame people walk. He even raised the dead. Miracles and wonders and signs Jesus did. A testimony to the fact that he was who he claimed and represented himself to be. God did this. and We need to remember that. We didn't get to see those miracles and wonders and signs. But those people who were listening, many of them did. And they can say, yes, I remember when he made Bartimaeus to see. Yes, I remember when he took that clay that he made out of spittle and put it on those person's eyes, he could see. I remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead. I remember those things. That is God's testimony. That should convince us that Jesus is Lord. Not only did God attest by miracles and wonders and signs that Jesus Christ is Lord, he also did this because Jesus was delivered over by his plan. Look at verse 24. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Delivered up by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The New American Standard translation has there the predetermined plan of God. I like what the King James says. The King James says the determinate counsel. I like that phrase for some reason. The determinate counsel. Jesus did not die by accident. It was the design and plan of God. God was in control every moment along the way. He was delivered by the predetermined plan, the definite plan, and the foreknowledge of God. Now, God's sovereignty has been established. He's in control. He was planning it, but yet 
There is the balance of human responsibility. All through the Bible you see this. God is in control. God knows exactly what's going on. He has a plan that is moving toward its end. But there is always human responsibility. God knew all this. But yet he says, you killed him by the hands of lawless men. The you that he's referring to specifically are the men of Israel, the Jews. But the lawless men that he's referring to are the Romans who were there. But also by extension it is us. I have some cufflinks on this morning. I've had these since I was a teenager. And it's, it's a helmeted soldier. Looks like a Roman, either a Greek or a Roman soldier. Now as I was putting those on this morning, I thought, you know, that's a representative of the fact that I was responsible for Jesus' death. I was. Isaiah 53 tells us that God laid on him the iniquity of us all. We are all responsible. We are the ones who put Jesus on the cross, who caused him to suffer. Peter said to those who were present, you killed by the hands of lawless men. Romans 4.25 says this, He who was delivered over because of our transgressions was raised up because of our justification. We are responsible for his sin. God is responsible for his resurrection. Look at the next verse. Jesus was attested by God's performance. He was delivered over by God's plan. But he is raised by God's power. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath with him or to him that he would set one of his descendants upon the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. Jesus was raised by God's power. God acted. Even though, and we know it's a miracle of God because I struggled. I was going to preach on John chapter 20 this morning and the evidences of the resurrection that are there. We know that the resurrection happened for real because the disciples didn't expect it. They were as surprised as everyone else that Jesus was raised from the dead. God raised him up. He broke the pangs, the power of death. He said it was not possible for death to hold him because he was the, the God-man, fully God and fully man. 
Peter goes back again to the Old Testament, Psalm 16, to give a biblical foundation. And he goes to a prophecy of David. David, you know, was a prophet, a priest, and a king. And he's giving a prophetic message. And he talks about the prophecy that David made that his flesh would not undergo corruption, that he wouldn't be abandoned to Hades. And Peter makes the application in verse 29, says David's dead and gone. David was speaking of the Messiah, his greater son who was to come, and that son is Jesus. That's verses 25 to 28. And then he makes the conclusion that we are witnesses of that. He says, we all are witnesses of that. Now, he's talking primarily about the 120 disciples who were gathered together that day, that, that morning on Pentecost. But he's also referring to those folks who were there in the city at that time, who had heard and perhaps seen Jesus resurrected. At one time, there were over 500 people who saw the resurrected Jesus before he ascended back into heaven. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Christ and he is Lord. He was attested by God's performance. He was delivered by God's plan. He was raised by God's power, but he was also exalted to God's position. Look at verse 33. He says this, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus has been exalted to God's position. Verse 33 says that he is exalted to the right hand of God. That is a position of privilege. It is a position of prominence. It is a position of power. And he is there now. He's doing many things there now. As we read in other places in the New Testament, he is there right now interceding on behalf of the saints. He is praying for you and for me, and he's praying for the effectiveness of our witness, and he's praying for those who come to, tr to know him. He's praying for his mission, his kingdom to be fulfilled and to be carried out. He is interceding and praying for us now. He's given us the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to direct us, to guide us, to empower us as we carry forth his mission, as we surrender to his lordship and to his messianic position. Jesus Christ is Lord. And that has been poured out on us. And Peter was saying to his audience that day, this has been poured out on us now. His power is being demonstrated. Christ is Lord. He says, let all the house of Israel, let everyone know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's look at what happened then. We will see in this passage of Scripture that those who were listening 
were convicted by God's truth. Look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word and were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls and verse 42 says and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers those who were listening fell under the conviction of the holy spirit in fact as as i read this it, it seems to me like they interrupted peter it says he he went on but they stopped him and said what shall we do what shall we do they had heard the message of jesus They had realized he was who he said he was. They realized that he was Messiah, that he was God's son, and that he had been killed, and that he had been resurrected, and that they were responsible. Conviction had come on them with power. And they cried out, Brethren, what shall we do? What can we do about this? And Peter turns and says, Repent and be baptized. Now, he's not talking about works there because repentance and baptism both require faith, a trust in who God is and that what he has said is true. He says, repent and be baptized. Trust in the Lord and give evidence of your trust in him through your repentance and through your baptism. And it says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 38, I've said sometimes before that verse 38, there are at least three heresies that can come out of that because people put a wrong emphasis on either repent or be baptized or you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But it's all a package. We repent and are baptized and we receive the Holy Spirit and He directs our lives and infills us, grants us eternal life, and we walk with Him. Notice who it's addressed to. Who is this available to? The gift of repentance, the gift of baptism, the gift of the Holy Spirit says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. It's available to anyone who will come to Christ, who will repent, who will turn their hearts toward him. It's available to you and to your children, and to your friends, and to your neighbors. Look at that. They were convicted by God's truth, and the response to God's truth is that there were 3,000 who gladly received his word. And they continued in doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and of prayers. They, They studied Christ's teaching. They interacted together. They had a life. You see, for these folks in the first century, church wasn't an 11 o'clock or a 10.30 on Sunday morning event that they came to. But it was living their life together day by day, 
under the lordship and direction of Jesus Christ, the Lord and the Messiah. What's the significance of this? Lord in Christ, what, is it, what does it mean? I've been reading a book the last few days called Gospel-Centered Discipleship. It's written by a guy by the name of Jonathan Dodson. And uh, the introductory section, he's talking about uh, the fact that we, we miss the, what the Great Commission is about sometimes. We, we either emphasize, you know, the Great Commission says, uh, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them uh, to observe whatsoever things I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Well, we either want to emphasize the evangelism side of that, or we want to emphasize the discipleship side of that. And, and when we do that, we get distorted. Because the gospel is for us. It's for sinners, but we never grow beyond the gospel. Because the same gospel that saves us is the gospel that maintains us and carries us through. And we never outgrow the gospel that Jesus Christ changes and transforms our lives. Dodson says this about Lord. He says, if Jesus is Lord, he doesn't merely rescue sinners from judgment, but he also brings disciples under his divine authority. Translation, when we become Jesus' disciples, we also become his servants. He is Lord. Remember what we said, God and King He is Christ, Messiah, rescuer, and redeemer. He also says this about Christ. is because Jesus is not only Lord, but also Christ. Every disciple has every reason to hope in failure. Have you failed as a Christian? Have you stumbled along the way? Hope in the gospel. It will transform you. It will give you life. Jesus has secured our never-ending forgiveness through the end of his life. And with his triumph over death, he bought for us a new life of glad submission to him. Because Jesus is Christ, he is sufficient for our failures And sufficient for our successes. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. My call to you today is to submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of your failure, and in the midst of your success. He will give you everything you need. What's your reaction to that? Do you embrace Jesus Christ? Or do you reject him like the lawless men and the Jewish leaders who had him crucified? Do you ignore Jesus Christ and pretend he never existed? Or have you embraced him as Savior and Lord? May God give us grace to trust him day by day and walk under his authority as God and King and his forgiveness 
as rescuer and redeemer. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you that Jesus Christ is indeed risen from the dead. Father, help us to take these words that were written for our benefit, for our edification. And by your Spirit, apply them to our lives. Father, remind us today that our hope is in Christ. When we succeed and when we fail, we turn to him. Because he was attested by God's performance. He was delivered by God's plan. He was exalted to God's position. And is even now reigning over this earth and over our lives. Father, now as we extend an opportunity of response, move in the hearts of those who are gathered here. and Help us to respond to your call by the Holy Spirit in a way that is pleasing to you. Be glorified in this time, we pray now, in Jesus' name. Amen.